G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to turn our attention today to trying to understand why we do what we do in church. Our special guest today frames his new book as Asking Those Naughty Questions About Stuff You're Supposed to Accept Without Question. In most cases, we are raised, uh, perhaps in a Christian faith tradition, either from childhood as we've been raised in a Christian home or we've come to faith in Christ, we've been planted in a local church. And in our maturing, our growing in faith and our discipleship, we become confident that what we believe is what we believe and we tend to adopt the traditions of our church. Now that may not be entirely a bad thing. But given the historic Christian church is 2,000 years strong, there are lots of things we do because of tradition. The practices of our worship, they're often called a liturgy. And somewhere in our practices are how we incorporate those necessary biblical elements like baptism or Holy Communion, that what we call ordinances or sacraments. And our special guest today is the Reverend Ronald Burksmith. Ronald is a retired minister, and he has dared to ask those naughty questions about some of the subjects we're supposed to accept without question. And he's written a book called What, For and Why. Uh, Ronald Burksmith, welcome along to 2020. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Ronald, uh, your title is unusual, What, For and Why, spelt W-O-T, the number four, and why. And and then the subtitle, Asking Naughty Questions About Stuff You're Supposed to Accept Without Question. I know that some listeners will be interested in the fact that you're using naughty questions in the title. Give us some insight into your choice of title. Well, let me start off with the fact that the, the what is not W-H-A-T, it's W-O-T, and in a very cheeky way, I've actually uh, meant that to be, why only thus? Why do we only do it this way? Ah. Uh, you see? So all of these questions, I actually say, well, it's, it's not so much it's wrong what we're doing, it's why is it only this way here or there or whatever, you know? Um where did it all begin? And so the book actually goes back to the Bible, back into the Scripture, and looks at where it all began and what happened to actually start these things like, you said, communion and baptism, for example. Why do we believe in the Trinity? What do we mean by sin, for example? Things like that. We'll get into some of those things. Now, you're a retired minister, 
And uh, yeah. to have a book out like this that says, ask those naughty questions, uh, because as the minister, as the leader in your church, you might be hoping that no one's going to rock the boat and ask all of the questions about why we do what we do, because we just go along with a tradition here. So put your minister's hat back on for a moment. Uh, this is not necessarily comfortable for the leader if, if people are asking all these questions, is it? Well, um, that's where I had a problem, you see, because I was one of those ministers that encouraged people to ask those questions. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I got into trouble, because (laughs) my leaders didn't like me allowing those questions to be asked. Um, And so, you know, people are supposed to just accept that, you know, we know better, blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, no, well, if they don't understand why they're doing it, how you can expect them to just... So you've got those who just go along with the tradition, they won't rock the boats, they won't ask the questions, but what you're saying here is it's actually a good thing to ask the questions, to maybe even introduce that bit of controversy because it's in the dialogue that comes from that that we actually grow because we begin to understand where we've come from. Well, it is very important. I mean, to say you really need to understand it. For example, you know, the whole idea of the Christian pilgrimage is our relationship with God and our understanding that Jesus Christ died for us and that he is right now standing in front of God, interceding on our behalf. And in the meantime, he's given us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to point us to Jesus and to encourage us and to strengthen us and to invigorate us in this Christian life that we we are all called to be. Well, you know, we really need to understand how all that works. And the Bible's quite clear on it. It's just that very often we just don't read it. We're coming from different traditions and listeners to our conversation today are going to be coming from, you know, whether it's uh, an Anglican tradition like yours or Baptists or Pentecostals, uh, all sorts of different different denominational traditions in the mix. And they all do things a little bit differently. I wonder whether we might just uh, touch on uh, what I mentioned in the introduction, the thought of liturgy. Because yes. lots of churches, they say, well, uh, you know, we have a liturgy. And then there's going to be a bunch of churches that say, what's a liturgy? I've never heard of that. Uh, we just do yeah. things, you know, in fact, we're doing things in a reactionary or even rebellious way to what those traditions and liturgies were. But there is a sense, isn't there, that every church tradition has its own liturgy, even if it oh, looks yes. like it's an anti-liturgy. Yeah, yes, a liturgy is just... Well, the, the word liturgy just simply means the way things done. You know, that's the process. Um, and and I don't, uh, I don't through the book, um, I, and I think it's important that we understand, at, at no stage am I actually judging or condemning a particular denomination or the way a denomination... Actually, I talk about that some of the differences, for example, the Salvation Army doesn't do baptism or communion. Um, as do the um, the Quakers, they don't either. Um, but they have their own liturgies, which they very staunchly say they don't, but nevertheless they do, which replaces those things that in the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church they have 
communion, Holy Communion, the sacraments, and I have baptism, and everybody does baptism, you know, pedo-baptism, adult baptism, full immersion, sprinklings, you know, whatever, (laughs) and all those different things. And I actually look at all of the different ways these things are done um, and what they actually mean. What, what is it meant by being baptized? What do we actually mean? With, that, with, for example, communion, I actually go back to the original Passover meal uh, where, where Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room celebrating the Passover. And it was the fourth or the third cup of the four cups that they actually had in the center meal that he actually took and he said, this cup which is the cup of redemption, I might add, of the four cups. Uh, this is the cup uh, representing my blood, which I'm shedding for you. And it's interesting that it was the cup of redemption. So when we come back to, you know, the Passover meal, this is an interesting one because different traditions celebrate Holy Communion in different ways. And so some people will have in mind what the Catholics do. And, uh, you know, you've got Anglicans that do some things that are very Catholic looking. And then you've got some other, you know, uh, traditions Mm -hmm. uh, where people are coming around what they call the Lord's Supper. And it's uh, very much more basic, uh, a basic type of meal with a, a piece of wafer or bread and uh, and a cup of wine, and then there's those yeah. that share one cup, which had a little took a bit of a, a knock when uh, COVID came around, uh, and uh, <laughs> and then everyone's you know others that are sharing other little uh, individual cups. So there's different exactly. ways that people are doing things. This is the sort of things, the oh, questions yeah. you're asking. Well, yeah, I mean, I, and I'm not actually saying that any one of them is right. As a matter of fact, at the very end of the. Um, of that particular article, and, and the book is actually articles rather than chapters, um, I actually say, well, you know, as time has passed on and with all the different variations and all the confusion of the differences, I'm sure God loves his church so much that really um, nothing's going to change much until it comes. And I think his love for the church is far more important than what we do and how we do it. Is it fair enough to say, Ron, that if you're going to want to win an argument over what you do in church, you first of all have to understand where your argument foundation is and uh, coming back to the Bible? Uh, Because some people are not giving the Bible the sort of precedence that the Bible really needs because we can all get on well together if we understand the power and the authority in God's word. Oh, yes. Well, you, you will notice those that pick up the book uh, and read the book, um, I'm absolutely, well, dare I say paranoid, um, I'm absolutely <laughs> very keen that everything goes back to the Bible. Uh, I go back, and, and, and even the story when I'm talking about death, where do we go when we die, for example, there's a whole article on that. Uh, I say, well, it's all right to go talking about all the different things and quoting scriptures left, right and centre, but what did Jesus say? How did he answer the question? And he was put that question by the Sadducees that came to him who didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they were very hypocritical in the question they posed him. But he answered them with a story. Uh, which was a very interesting story about a a very rich man and a very poor man and what actually happened as a result. Well, um, 
I reckon that Jesus must have known what he was talking about. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316, taking naughty questions today with the Reverend Ronald Burksmith. His new book is called What For and Why? Asking those naughty questions about stuff you're supposed to accept without question. So we're talking about issues around what we believe and how we practice our Christian faith. So taking some calls, uh, let's take a call straight away, I think, uh, Ron, Ian is in Tenterfield in New South Wales. Hello, Ian. Welcome along. Yeah, hi. How are you going? Very good, Ian. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts uh, for an naughty question that came to mind is one that's puzzled me out of yes. How do you fit three days and three nights, uh, sign of Jonah, as it was with the sign of Jonah that uh, Christ would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights? How do you fit three days and three nights between Good Friday and Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, so Sunday morning, how do you fit three days and three nights between Good Friday and Sunday morning? Okay, the difference between three days and three nights and on the third day. Ron, what are your thoughts for Ian? Well, in the book, uh, actually, I address this um, in the sense that um, I, I go back to the fact that the, the Jewish day, uh, as we understand it, a Jewish day, starts at um, nightfall. Um, on the, For example, uh, tomorrow will start at about 6 o'clock this afternoon. Okay? So evening and morning. The Bible talks about evening and morning. So it always starts nightfall. Uh, the previous day, there was night, and then there's morning of the next day, which goes from 6 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock at night. So when you understand that principle, not the Gregorian one of 12 o'clock, um, you understand that if you go back to in the Scriptures, it talks about the Passover. Once again, we come back to the Passover. So in actual fact, when Jesus was celebrating the Passover uh, with his disciples, it was, the, the celebration was on the night before the actual Passover. So really, um, the Passover was actually held um, on the Wednesday night. So the, when, the, the, the next day was the Thursday. That was when he was actually tried and crucified on the on the on the cross and everything. He was buried so that the the day that followed, which was the Friday, our what we would understand as the Friday, was the Passover. And that was a, a Sabbath, was regarded as a Sabbath. And so um, nothing was done. The next day, Saturday, was the actual Sabbath. Um, so therefore you've got the three days, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And he rose on the first day, which started at six o'clock on the Saturday. So if we're simplifying that here, and a great question from Ian, I might say, but if you're simplifying this, and I've heard this before, it's like, there was an extra public holiday because of the Passover, and therefore yeah. you can count the extra day. So 
while it well, sounds confusing, to. while it sounds confusing, uh, that's actually uh, it, it does satisfy uh, where you understand uh, what happened in the scriptures uh, three days and three nights, or on the third day, both of them are sort exactly. of relevant, aren't they? Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. Ian, thank you so much for your call. And let's take another call just quickly before uh, we get into some other detail. Shelby is in Brisbane. Hi, Shelby. Hey, yeah, Neil. How you going, buddy? Very uh, good. I, I missed the Reverend's... Yeah, good, buddy. I missed the Reverend's name. Um, uh, Ron. Yeah. Ron. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, mate. I, look, um, this, I love the show, Neil, too, but i uh, just enjoying listening to you about various different things. Mate, uh, I fellowship in two churches um, because um, we only have one Sunday night and the other three Sunday nights I go back to the Hillsong uh, was AOG when I was going there one time. But um, um, I love the fact that um, our Lutheran church, I've gone back to my family roots, we're Prussian and Polish, um, is um, a bit of German. Um, it is, we have a lot of liturgy in the Lutheran church. Um, yes. And I do, I do love that. Like I can tell you one thing: the um, 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 Hillsong, they know how to lift the roof off when they're singing their songs. <laughs> but but um, you know, I get the same message. God talks to me uh, wherever I am, on the beach or in the mountain or wherever. But God talks to me certainly in the church and in the minister's um, uh, service. Um, but I do love our liturgy. <laughs> Shelby, um, you are a fascinating character because, uh, and Ron will have picked this up, uh, Lutheran roots, but you love going and experiencing a Pentecostal experience. And uh, you mentioned uh, the Hillsong Church. And and there's an interesting mix there because the love for that liturgy in the Lutheran Church, but also the appreciation of what happens in the Pentecostal setting. Your thoughts here, Ronald, for uh, for Shelby? Well, bless his heart. I, I I love the Lutheran Church. I love the Orthodox Church. I love the Anglican Church. Um, I I find I find it's absolutely beautiful to be. And yes, I do go to the Pentecostal Church. I have fellowship with some Pentecostal people. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, I, I think the the whole idea of um, putting everything in little ticky-tacky boxes of denominations is a little bit boring, don't you think? It could be. Yes. That's what Shelby's going to agree with, I'm sure. Isn't that right, Shelby? Hey, yeah, that's right. Look, I, 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 I go to anyone's friends' churches, the Catholic, um, and Methodist. Uh, yeah, I'm the same uh, with Ron. Um, I'm happy to go to any church. God's there in every one of them. So, <laughs> yeah. And Shelby, well, that well, raises... The point is, but the point is, the point is, Charlotte, that that God is there because you're there. He's within your heart. So you walk into any building, even if it's a railway station, it becomes a cathedral because you're there. God's yes. there with you. Yes. Yes. Shelby, wonderful to hear from you. Thank you so much for sharing that detail. And uh, in the couple of minutes leading up to the news, an interesting thing, because some people are going to say right now, 
that if you're a part of your tradition and raised in your tradition, raised with the truths of your tradition, and uh, let's just take the Lutheran uh, Reformed uh, truths and uh, theology of the Lutheran Church, there'll be some people in the Lutheran Church that say, well, you know, how can you go and, uh, you know, worship in the Pentecostal Church? They don't have some of our uh, Reformed foundations or they stretch things a little bit here and there and charisma and all sorts of uh, issues there. There's a certain sense in which while you're taking a biblical perspective, it's not just the practices that you have and might be accepting, but also there's those dogmas, those things that don't change in our beliefs uh, that the minister in your church is trying to instill in you. Uh, thought or two yeah. here just quickly, Ron? Well, you, you, you know, regardless of, of the, the, the denomination, uh, where you are, and, and I mean, they, as we said earlier, they all have their own liturgy, uh, one way or another. But you come back to, to basic things like the Apostles' Creed. Uh, now, you, you could walk into a Catholic church, an Orthodox um, church, or a Pentecostal church, and they all believe the Apostles' Creed. So there's those things that we have in common that allow us to fellowship together really without controversy and yeah. perhaps even uh, caution about those who might warn us around controversy like that. Of uh, course, yeah. there are leaders that we want to trust. So, I mean, all of this, uh, all of this is conditional on a whole lot of things as to, uh, you know, whether you can be easily swayed because there are cult groups who might be oh, operating yeah. too, which, uh, which might actually cause us to have some issue. Ronald, I think we'll take some more calls straight away. Let's hear from Nikki in Bunbury in Western Australia. Hi, Nikki. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very well, Nikki. What's your question or do you have a comment? Uh, yeah, I have a question. Um, so in the Bible, it says like if you are divorced and, you know, if, if it's not because your partner has been unfaithful, then um, you should either stay on your own or go back. But if you marry someone else, you're an adulterer. But in the Christian church, as far as I know, you know, this happens all the time that Christians divorce and they do marry someone else, but no one is going to say like, hey, that's adultery, or, you know, that's a sin, or, you know, you may go to hell or whatever. Whereas with the fornication thing, um, if two people are really committed in their heart and they truly love each other um, and, you know, they're committed for life, but they don't have the paperwork, then it's considered fornication a sin. And there also I have a question because I thought fornication in the old meaning meant going with to whores, to prostitutes. But so um, to me, that's a bit of a contradiction. Like, you know, people who uh, remarry, whereas in the Bible that said that's adultery, that seems to be no problem. But people who really, truly love each other are committed, but don't have it on paper. They're so-called um, living in sin. They're fornicating. So that's sort of a bit my question. Nikki, it sounds to me like you've got a very good grip, actually, on a biblical foundation for the sorts of things you're talking about here. Ronalds, this is the sort of question that you can ask when you're saying uh, ask your naughty questions because sometimes churches don't give the same attention uh, to the biblical foundation as perhaps what the biblical foundation deserves. What are your thoughts for Nikki? Well, um, I go back to... What Jesus, yeah, what, what happened with Jesus when he was confronted by a woman who was 
taken in adultery. And bear in mind, it's interesting that the bloke wasn't there. Um, but anyway, the poor woman was actually you know, caught in the act of adultery and she was brought to Jesus. Um, now, the, the, the Sadducees, who were very, um, you know, sort of pious sort of people, um, they were saying, well, you know, this woman should be stoned, blah, blah, blah. And um, Jesus sort of bent down and sort of started scribbling in the, in the soil. Um, and uh, then eventually they sort of demanded from him an answer. And um, he, he looked up and he said to them, oh, okay. He said, if you want an answer, he said, well, who of you is amongst here that hasn't sinned? Cast the first stone. Okay, it's up to you now. Make the decision. Well, they were sort of confronted by a reality. So they went away. And so the woman was left there standing in front of him and she said, well, and Jesus said, where's all your accusers? And she said, there's no one here. He said, well, you go, but sin no more. Right? Now, here's the key. All of these things of divorce, in another conversation Jesus had with some people that raised the subject of divorce, Jesus actually pointed out that in the original intent of God, a man and a woman would come together and become one flesh. Now, that was the original intention of, of God. But, of course, entered into the whole process was sin. And so we live in a broken world. Um, and, 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 and in this brokenness, um, the children of Israel came to Moses and said, you know, well, you know, we don't like each other anymore um, and um, we, we can't live together, blah, blah. And so he gave them the ability to write a letter of divorce and, and a whole procedure of it. But you see, all of that is a man-made thing. All of that is a man-made thing. It was not the original intention of God that we would have divorce or we would have broken marriages. But when a man and a woman come together, they become one flesh. That was his original intention. And, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what he expects to happen. And so as a believer, you want to come back to how Jesus teaches about marriage to say this That's is right. going to be my foundation and this That's actually right. resolves a whole lot of controversy. And, of course, in the mix there, you've got secular governments changing yeah our definitions of marriage, which were very Christian-looking definitions of marriage, and now the definition of marriage doesn't look much at all like the Christian definition. So you've got to be able to try and make sense in that. And so coming back to Jesus' teaching helps you to unclutter, but there is a challenge there, isn't there, to believe That's and right. to appropriate Jesus' teaching the way that he intended in amongst a society that has got a mix-up on that. And Nikki, was that a helpful response? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks. Nikki? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. yeah. It's just that uh, the, the, the fact that, yeah, like, for instance, Adam and Eve obviously were not married, and long time after that, marriage as an institution didn't exist. It, it becomes, as you know, it becomes a cultural thing. Um, but yeah, as you said, there's there is the intention um, 
of Jesus and, and what he is and then society that comes in there and trying to um, see it mixed together or what? Yeah. yeah. Nikki, you made some great points and uh, there's all sorts of things to enlarge on there and I guess we could in fact talk for hours but I want to thank you so much for a great contribution today. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let me just uh, throw this one a little bit of a spanner into the works here and a little bit of uh, you know glowing um, compliment to the Catholic Church here and you might have your own thoughts uh, as you might be aware of these sorts of things. Uh, but, uh, Ronald, in the Catholic Church, uh, they take things a little more seriously than other churches, like Protestant churches around marriage. They even have an annulment court. In other words, if you want to go through a civil divorce proceeding, if you were married in the Catholic Church, you need to get some permission to actually go through that sort of proceeding and for the Catholic Church to determine that your church, that your marriage is annulled and, let me just say, according to a biblical basis. There's something interesting in that, that uh, just a, a little bit of uh, extra substance in the Catholic Church with regard to trying to hold marriages together. Do you have any thoughts there at all, Ronald? Well, I take your point, but I also take a point of the previous caller um, when she said Adam and Eve were not married. Um, Now, that's not exactly true, because what is the definition of marriage? Marriage is the union of a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others. Now, you must understand that marriage uh, in the Bible is the union, well, in other words, we we sort of uncover. It's the sexual activity of a man and a woman where they become actually one flesh. That is marriage. So that was instituted by God with Adam and Eve. So marriage is an institution by God. And that is the actual definition of what is throughout Scripture is, is marriage. So when you actually come to whether it's the church or the state or whoever it is that wants to undo that, you can't undo that. And the interesting thing is there, God while... Is, as far as God is concerned, I mean. Uh, yeah. And just, just clarifying here on marriage from Genesis... Uh, we actually get the affirmation because of the words of Jesus when he reflected back to Adam and Eve, and he said, exactly "You know, right. when uh, you know uh, a man will uh, a woman will leave a father and mother, and the two will be united and become one flesh." So you actually well, have Jesus defining marriage back to Genesis, and uh, well, you'd hardly expect him not to, would you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hey, uh, we're just, I'm just having some trouble just taking the next call. We're going to work on that uh, in just a few moments. The thought of uncluttering, let me get your thoughts here. Uncluttering needless man-made complications. And I know that listeners will pick up, Ronald, you're just coming back to Jesus. Jesus, the starting point, whether you're talking Old Testament or New, Jesus is right in the centre. That's right, exactly so. And and uncluttering, um, now, now without being judgmental, now, uh, please understand, I, I, you can unclutter without being judgmental. You, you understand what I mean? Yep. For example, the communion, um, when you come to the communion, uh, there's uh, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and, and so on. There's all different variations of it. 
And these words have come in um, as part of our um, traditions um, and culture within the church over the years. And I'm not going to blame the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church or whatever. It's the church, right? Yeah. Um, and these have come in. But that's why it's necessary that you go back to the original thing. What actually happened? What did Jesus do that he actually instituted this thing called, we call it the Lord's Supper, the communion, the sacraments, or whatever you want to call it. But it actually goes back, as I said, to the Passover. And it was that third cup, the cup of redemption. Wonderful stuff, and uh, certainly on that whole issue of Holy Communion, it can be, for some, a real uh, sticking point. Uh, But as you say, the way you diffuse that is to come back to the original intention, and that's back to Jesus at Passover. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Jenny is in Portland in Victoria. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Listen, I've only heard part of your conversation. Um, some of it's been as clear as mud, to tell you the truth. That lady talking about, about yeah, well, the start of, about, about how you're not supposed to remarry after you um, get divorced. What you said about the Catholic Church doing the annulment process, I just want to say something about that because I am very um, upset about it, I suppose. A dead set against it. What happens with the annulment process, I've learned um, through going through it a couple of times, is they have different people come in. They, they have like doctors or teachers or policemen or whatever sit on a board and read your application. Now, if you get knocked back, um, you have no uh, process of appeal against it. You don't get to say anything. You have to once again put another application in and pay big money to put it through. And, yes, and you know, getting into getting into the detail about what happens in the process, and uh, there are always going to be people who are unhappy with the way that all works, and it's a very uncomfortable situation. and And if you've been through that at all, Jenny, you have my sympathy. However, mm. what I'm saying when I mention that the fact that the Catholic Church has an annulment court process really comes back to the way that the Catholic Church sees marriage as being much more highly important than perhaps some other Protestant denominations do. And and while I say I'm just, uh, you know, singing the praise of the Catholic Church, there's lots of issues in the Catholic Church that lots of us will have problems with. <laughs> this is one of them that actually says marriage is important, uh, important enough to have their own judges that sit on a court when they deal with issues around marriage. So... Uh, Jenny, I do take your point, and uh, I do think it's a uh, an uncomfortable process, and uh, putting yourself out uh, to do that process uh, can't be an easy thing, but I uh, do appreciate your calling through. 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join in our conversation, the naughty questions, let's take another call. Kay is in Gilgandra in New South Wales. Hi, Kay, welcome. Hi. I really enjoy your program. Oh, thank you, the Kate. Whole of, the whole of vision. What a blessing. Thank and you. in Gilgandra, somebody put a brochure in every letterbox at the post office so everyone knows about it. So <laughs> There's somebody you. else in Gilgandra who likes the program too, enough to actually get mm. out there and put those uh, those little pamphlets in letterboxes. Wonderful stuff. Uh, did you have That's a right contribution? Did you have a question, Kay? I, I have a contribution. 
Um, over, over 70 years ago, my father was a secretary in Sydney of the Communist Party and his brother, who was very ill in Melbourne, came up. He was terminal with brain cancer and he travelled by train and took Dad to church. Dad went to church with him and he became a Christian that night. And he said to someone, how can I tell them that I'm leaving? And they said, just wear that little red badge here that we've got, a little red badge that says Jesus saved. saved. So he mm. went to the next communist meeting and nobody said anything. He never went back. Wow. I was in the womb of my mother at the time. And so I was born into a, a beautiful Christian family and went to the Assembly of God all our life. And... My dad was, the parents were really great in that. They let us go to the Christian Endeavour, the the Crusaders, the Salvation Army. If there was something good on at any of the other churches for the youth, there were five of us, dad would say, you can have the night off our youth group, you go there. And my social life was better than anyone else's at school. You know, we went to the different denominations, um, church camps, and, you know, everything. So I'd like to encourage the parents, you know, if, you ha- if your children haven't got a good youth group, find one. Find somewhere yeah. that they can mix mm. with like-minded Christians. Don't Kay, worry about the name tag. You have a wonderful testimony and your father. I mean, communism is anti-Christ. It is a atheistic foundation for trying to deal with uh, issues in society. And so your father having an encounter with God and going along to church and then from that point on, uh, you were in a developmental time where you understood that God was real and that he makes a difference in the way that we live our lives. Hey, uh, Ronald, your thoughts for Kay? I think it's absolutely brilliant. I I, I just love the fact that she... she cross-pollinated across the little boxes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, sometimes our parents might be more jealous about us staying with the one denomination. Uh, Others are a little bit... Uh, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, let you out on a leash a little bit further. And uh, and I guess there's got to be limitations to that, as I mentioned a little earlier. And, and just to pick up on, on some of that, because uh, you could be so lax with that that you could be allowing your children off into uh, groups that you might say have a cult status. Uh, and that would be a yeah. dangerous thing, Ronald. Yeah, well, of course. But, I mean, you have to, you have to be wise and you have to, you have to know... Primarily, I think it's important as parents, and this is one of the things I say to parents at um, uh, parents at baptisms and and any of these sort of events where you're actually getting the parents to accept responsibility for their children. Parents are responsible for their children's Christian education. Children do not grow into Christian spirituality by osmosis. It don't happen that way. Children see their parents as the lesson rather than hearing the lesson. There's an intentionality about our parenthood, and Kay, you are the fruit of that intentionality. Kay, thank you so much for your call. Let's squeeze in one more call. Time is running short. David is in Casino in New South Wales. Hi, David. How you going? Good. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are 
I was married for 27 years and about five years ago now, my wife left me and went to America to another woman. Now, I don't even know where she is over there, if she's alive or asleep in God or not. But to me, God, sacred in marriage is so important. So how can someone like myself that loves God with every corpuscle of his being go and find another woman that can fill that void and be happy in, in, in life. David, I can hear your heart beating and uh, I have compassion for you right now because you find yourself in the middle of a ethical dilemma about what you should do. Uh, your emotions are driving you in all sorts of directions by way of your thoughts and you're wondering what God is saying to you in this, because as you say, following him with every element of your being. Uh, Ronald, what would you have uh, as a, a note of encouragement for David? David, I would say, um, I understand exactly the, the hurt um, that he is experiencing. I, I do understand that. Um, uh, I, I was married to the love of my life. I, I absolutely adored her until um, God took her home in 2014. Um, and uh, and I've not been interested in anybody since uh, for the simple reason, <laughs> as I jokingly say, um, why would I look at anybody else? They would have to suffer me always saying to them and comparing them with my previous wife, <laughs> who I thought was absolutely perfect. Um, I understand exactly how he feels. Um, and, and I say, look, look to the Holy Spirit. He will be your comforter. He will be your strength. He will be your support. He will be everything you need for daily living on your own. Unless, of course, he opens up an opportunity, in which case, remember, um, the only reason that uh, Jesus gave that was valid was by fornication. So if, if one of the part partners broke the union, which was, remember I said sex, uh, intercourse, uh, if that was broken by fornication, in other words, they had it with somebody else, that actually broke the nexus of that relationship in God. David, I know that listeners will be compassionate towards your situation too and to appreciate what we have in marriage as being a covenant. Uh, just yesterday in our conversations about domestic violence, we are talking about the covenant yes. of marriage and when someone breaks that covenant, uh, then you will become free from the covenantal agreement that you made on those day, on that day that you took your wedding vows. Now, uh, yeah. You might have your own uh, pastor, your own denomination, and they'll have their own thoughts on marriage and remarriage. And David, my encouragement to you is to uh, to link in with your pastor and get good advice as to how those sorts of things unfold. And uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, the compassion that you'll have from friends uh, and support I hope that you have in your local church uh, will be so valuable as you navigate the way forward. But David, thank you so much for your call. Time has run out. 
and uh, we have to farewell our special guest. And uh, I think we should do this on another day too, if you've got an opportunity, at Ronald Burke Smith, because uh, wonderful insights. Uh, what? Well, you're just doing me, and I'm I'm happy to talk because uh, I'm very. I, I, you've probably gathered my heart is that people have a relationship with God. Your they book. have a personal relationship with him. Yes. Uh, no, I think listeners will have picked that up too uh, in a wonderful way. Your book is What, For and Why. And uh, so W-O-T, the number four, and why, a question mark. And uh, for listeners to get a hold of that, uh, is there a particular website that you have? I can tell listeners uh, it's published by Balboa Press. Is there a website yes. that you have that you can point people to? Uh, well, there's my own own web. Uh, well, I don't have a website, but um, it, it is available through Kurong. Great. Um, Kurong, um, and it's available through Amazon. Uh, and also, I believe, Book Depository in, in the UK. Okay. For listeners uh, who'd like to get a hold of this book, uh, which really says, uh, let's unclutter and uh, make things a little simpler in the way we understand some of these controversies. You might want to get a hold of it. It's available at Kurong, Amazon, Book Depository, uh, so all sorts of online booksellers. The book is called What, For and Why. The author is Ronald Burke-Smith, B-I-R-K-S-M-I-T-H. Ronald, thank you so much for taking some time to share your heart with listeners today on 2020. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Neil. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.